And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic Hello and welcome to Pod on the Time, your go-to Newcastle United podcast from The Athletic coming up on this week's show When the Saints go missing, Southampton fold and Newcastle a third in the Premier League. The story of our first year under new management and how. Squad shearing, Alan from work on Newcastle's England hopefuls. Yes, hello, this is Pod on the Tyne. I'm Taylor Payne, new dog owner slash television critic. George, I'm sick of seeing your face on my box every time I put the telly on. You are there. You are just always there looking at me through my living room. Why? Why does this keep happening? Well, I could throw this back at you, Taylor. Why have you named your dog after me? I mean, if you hate me so much, and if you hate looking at me so much, why have you absolutely, definitely, definitively named your dog George? I have named him George. I have named him George, but not for the reasons you say. I've named him George because of George Harrison, the Beatle, uh, and not because of you, George Culkin, the miserable journalist. Nobody believes that. You're so sweet. <laughs> you're so sweet, Taylor, and you're in such denial. Oh, man. Uh, Chris, you're going to be nice to me today, because obviously George isn't. How are you doing? Are you all right? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, well, George is just miserable because he's stuck midway between Southampton and uh, civilization. so... <laughs> Someone said to me last week that Chris clearly has an allergy to the South Coast, but but raise the possibility that perhaps Chris at all times must be within 200 miles of a Savoy dip, and that's why he's not prepared to go to Brighton or Southampton. That sounds about right. And I'm not miserable. I'm not miserable. I'm coming back from seeing Newcastle post what actually was a routine 4-1 victory over another Premier League team, to move to third in the table. How could anybody be miserable about that? And I am not miserable. I'm very happy. This, however, has been quite a long trip. How are you, Chris, though? Did you have a nice weekend? I was at a wedding where I was best man. Oh, can he? How was the speech? Did it go all right? Yes, it was for... I think it went all right. I mean, I thought it was a bang average speech. I seemed to, I got compliments. So I don't know whether that was like sympathy compliments or what, but um, <laughs> it was actually for uh, Andrew Musgrove, who hosts another Newcastle United podcast from my former parish at The Chronicle. And uh, yes, uh, it was a lovely weekend. So yes, uh, good luck to them. But then I was also... I was back in time for to watch the game from the comfort of my own sofa. So that's unusual for me, because uh, usually, obviously, I'm there. And instead, because it was Southampton, it was George who was there. So, 
a more better present for Musgrove than Newcastle, Eddie Howe's shit-housing Champions League mags scoring four goals yet again uh, at Southampton. It wasn't the best performance, was it, Chris? But uh, Newcastle have scored four-plus goals four times across their last seven games in the Premier League, as many times as they had done in their previous 226 games in the competition my word, what a stat that is. Yeah, I mean, the weirdest thing is that they're making it look ridiculously easy as well. As you say, they didn't play particularly well in large spells, certainly during the first half. And all of the goals were actually, in in, in, in their individual way, quite difficult goals to score. And yet, Newcastle scored them with, with consummate ease. Um, and, I mean, watching it from home, I got the experience of listening to commentators who I, I thought that the main commentator was watching a completely different match to me because first half he seemed to think <laughs> yeah. Southampton were like the best team in the world. And I thought Southampton were abysmal because Newcastle weren't great. And what I didn't understand about Southampton was clearly the way you don't play against the Newcastle side who've started the season this well is to send your fullbacks really high so that you allow the likes of Sean Longstaff, Miguel Almiron, Joe Willock and Jacob Murphy to run in down both flanks, but particularly on that right-hand side, which is obviously where Newcastle's goal and first goal eventually came from. And yeah, Newcastle just ruthlessly efficient, have that confidence at the minute playing with such belief, you can see that they all believe in what they're trying to do. And yeah, absolutely astonishing win. Those magpies, George. Huh? They know how to put the ball in the net, don't they, those magpies? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, just astonishing. I mean, they it, you know, they they didn't have a huge number of chances and they scored from them. I mean, that is clinical. You would look if that was just one game in isolation, perhaps you would say that that wasn't sustainable. There was a you know, I mean, amazingly, there was a bit of unhappiness afterwards about the way Newcastle had performed in that match. There were some sloppy moments. Uh, Kieran Trippier said that we're frustrated with how we've played today. Eddie Howe said the same thing. I mean, that's just magnificent. I mean, that is, that is music. That should be music to all of our ears. Newcastle win 4-1 away from home. That's the first time ever that they've beaten Southampton in consecutive fixtures. They went to third and they're complaining. I mean, that is... it's It's... Incredible. It's amazing, isn't it? They scored goals. Miguel Almiron got uh, got his seventh in seven games. In your face, Christopher Woff. Yes. I would like to relate just a nice little story at this point, okay? So Chris and I happened to go out for a, a work-related drink, a drink last week, which I know sounds like a contradiction in terms. But anyway, and we went to the Bacchus pub, which is one of Tyneside's finest uh, hostelries, a bar that I love. And um, so I'd like to give a shout out to, to, to a couple of members of their staff who we, who we talked to. But one of them, Ben, recognized me as soon as I came in, which was very nice. We had a chat as he was pouring me a pint. And he was like, oh, yeah, I'm an athletic subscriber. I listen to the pod. I love it. It's great. I was like, Chris over there as well. Oh, yeah, I thought it was him. Yeah, fantastic. So he comes around the corner when I've taken my pint round and I introduce him to Chris. And Ben's like so enthusiastic. He's like really just like lovely. So, oh, great to meet you, Chris. Yeah, oh, this is brilliant. Yeah, I'm a, mind you, Miguel Almiron, he's made you look like a total dick, hasn't he? <laughs> it was just like, that's perfect. I love that. So thank you, Ben. You made my day. Oh, thank you, Miguel Almiron. That's what we should be saying. <laughs> he really has. Well, like, yeah, thank you to him as well, I suppose. Yeah, <laughs> He really has, hasn't he? 
Chris, how then was it? Was it Jammy his goal? Did he did he did he mean to sell Ainsley Maitland Niles that oh, dummy or, don't, or has don't he do it. has the defender don't. committed and he's just waited? What's happened there? Come on, Chris. Let's pour some shit all I over this. I knew you were gonna come, come to me with this, just like I've I already last night, uh Daryl Mitchell, who uh, friend friend of the podcast, who'd already had already messaged me saying, I cannot wait for Taylor to basically ask you this question because I know he said he said you can't say it was a fluke. <laughs> I think Almiron did extremely, extremely well to get through. I, I, I'm sorry, but I just don't believe that he meant to actually judge a battle like that. I think, I think he's, I think he does very, very well because I think he anticipates that Maitland Niles is going to come across, and because he stops, I think it eventually leads to what happens. I don't think he means to sort of almost like drag it back and then to go around him. But the run, he does, Chris. He means it because he's the greatest footballer. In the world, well, I'm happy to I'm happy to minute. concede that because the the run through. I mean, actually, I thought it was it, the 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 actual move for the, for the goals very was brilliant. As I've said before, I have yeah. no idea how Southampton were trying to defend in the way that they did because if if the fullback just doesn't commit, then Newcastle can't really get through. But he does commit. Yeah, Wilson then shows great strength, and then Almiron runs through real power, real determination, just to go through on goal. And to whereas previously. Three months ago, I don't think Almiron would have continued all the way into the box. I think he would have maybe try, uh, cut back on, on the inside, maybe try to play the ball to somebody else. But he kept going. And then the finish was just such confidence to just to just do that after the fact that, I, as I say, I don't quite believe that he necessarily deliberately meant to do what happened there. But because of the way that he's playing at the minute, every decision he's making is paying off. And he, it, was, it was just rewards for him. Man walks outside and refuses to believe that grass is green. That's Chris Waffey. <laughs> <laughs> refuses to accept basic facts. Uh, oh my god, That's astonishing! Oh, Chris, I've said this before, but it's it's that thing where you know you think you're having a conversation with a normal human being, and then you get onto <laughs> one subject. It's like one subject that reveals that they're actually fucking weirdos. And with with Chris, it's Miggy Almiron. I'm sorry, it is. Is he, Chris? Are you like intentionally digging your wheels in now over this, or you just sort of? Is this genuinely how you feel? No, genuinely, I'm giving, I'm giving him praise. I I, but, I, but I also think that large parts of, of what happens, regardless within football, it isn't, it isn't always that you everything you do comes off to exactly how you want it to do. But if you're in good enough form, if you're a good enough footballer at a certain period of time, then the decisions you make, more often than not, will eventually bear out with, with positive outcomes. Yeah. And that's what make I think is happening luck. with yeah. Almiron a lot at the minute. A lot of his finishes have been absolutely sublime. I just, I'm not entirely convinced that that played out exactly how he expected it to, but he anticipated that Maitland-Niles was going to slide across. He stopped and made sure that he was in the right position to then eventually capitalise. It was a brilliant goal all round. I'm just, I, that, I'm not trying to detract from that. Thankfully, Chris, someone very important ignored you at the start of the season and gave Miguel Almiron the chance to be in good form, to be in the team and continue <laughs> the absolutely excellent form in terms of goal scoring he'd shown in pre-season and now Newcastle are reaping the benefits. Good, yes. If Lionel Messi does if Lionel Messi does that in a Champions League game, we are watching it on YouTube compilations with shit European dance music over the top for years to come. <laughs> I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was a great goal. Uh, but anyway, I, did, I said it was a great. I didn't say it wasn't oh, wow. a great goal. That was high pitched. <laughs> oh, sad. didn't expect that. Oh, Chris, <laughs> tell you, but you might want to check that the other George is all right because that was. I mean, he might that be was high, wasn't it? Yeah, that was very high. That. Oh, Chris, this is all said in jest. You do know that. We're only ribbing you gently. It's all okay. We're all friends here still, you see. I don't believe that. <laughs> I'm waiting for the week where Miguel Almiron scores a 25-yard overhead kick on off the crossbar. <laughs> and Chris says, well, you know, he was clearly trying to play that out wide, wasn't he? 
<laughs> anyway, um, Sean Longstaff, George, we've mentioned him in, in briefly in, in past weeks, but he's really proven himself to be a, a really valuable player for Newcastle in that midfield. And, you know, he's if he could have kept that header down, it would have been great. But he got through a few times in the first half. He showed his intent going forward, attacking, but also fantastic uh, going the other way as well and putting in challenges and just basically being a nuisance, wasn't he, to, yeah, to, to yeah. Uh, the midfield? And we're saying, you know, we're, we're kind of saying the same thing week upon week. His example is not as dramatic as Jalinton, who's had this extraordinary transformation between different positions and looks world-class in midfield. It's not the same as Almiron, who, you know, has become this man who scores world-class goals or, if you're Chris, total flukes week in, week out. But he has returned to the form that he showed three years ago under Benitez when we were talking about him as rivaling Declan Rice. He looks like he's not stopped being in that midfield. He's a Rolls-Royce of a player. He strikes the ball beautifully and he runs all day. And it's just great to see. It's, It's brilliant to see another one of Newcastle's own coming back into the team, making that place his own and contributing to to these performances, it's yeah, it's fantastic. Um, he deserves all the all the credit. He really does. And Joe Willock as well, Chris. You mentioned recently he needed to start adding goals to his game, and and he added a great goal, didn't he? Running through after that fantastic piece of work by Kieran Trippier, and what a ball that was into his path, uh, and a, and a tidy little finish as well with a toe poke into the bottom corner. He's added that goal uh, and put the icing on some great performances recently. Yeah, I've been really impressed with Joe Willock this season. I thought there were times. Certainly the first half of last season where he sort of had lost his wear a little bit. I think that when he wasn't scoring goals, he wasn't necessarily contributing that much. But I know that behind the scenes, he's another player like all of them who Eddie Howe and his coaching staff have worked diligently with. And he's added so much more to it. I think he's everywhere now. I think he contributes in every area of the pitch. He makes so many overlapping and underlapping runs into the box. He, he links really well whether he's playing on the left or on the right and yeah I was really pleased that he finally got that goal he's had some chances this season which he hasn't quite taken or which Callum Wilson has nicked from him um, and so to finally get that and, and the way that he, I mean he called it himself afterwards he said it was a toe poke finish and it was it wasn't the clean service strike but it was a, it was good improvisation when he was through and losing uh, his balance a little bit yeah, seemingly with, with the had been absolutely teaming it down so the way that he took it and the way that he, he scored yeah I was I was I was delighted for him and, and I, I, as I say I think every single goal had an element of quality about it all the finishes uh, were very clever in, in, in different ways absolutely well delightful finishes weren't they George just nestling in the bottom corner there Bruno's towards the end putting the ice on the cake a little one-two with Alan St Maximan and lovely for big Chris Wood as well to come on and get a goal obviously Callum Wilson went off at half time feeling a bit unwell uh, and Wood comes on and, and you know Newcastle have never looked as potent with him up front uh, instead of Callum but he scored the goal and it was a great finish wasn't it yeah it felt like a big moment I sort of said on Twitter looks like uh, Chris Wood is is getting stripped and coming on and that moment you did feel a bit of trepidation you feel trepidation for Wilson because obviously the World Cup is now incredibly ludicrously close and Gareth Southgate was there we'll come on to talk about that so you felt a bit of concern for him you felt a bit of concern for Newcastle because Wilson's been so been so important and Wood um, albeit hasn't had a huge number of chances recently, isn't isn't cut from the same cloth as as Wilson. I mean, I don't think that's disrespectful, but yeah, a great a great moment for him. And by the end of the game, those concerns are, are misplaced. He played his part. That's good. He's going to be needed this season. He's going to be needed for the rest of this season, if not beyond that. So good for him. Good for his confidence. And yeah, again, 
everybody is contributing. That's the be- that's the real beauty of what's happening at Newcastle at the moment. It's not just the players that you would put down as first eleven. Everybody is contributing. I have to say as well, Trippier was magnificent, wasn't he, on the day, George? He was just something else. That that guy is he's levels above, isn't he? He's easily England's best defender at the moment. The way he's playing, I think he's fantastic. Yeah, he's he's he has to be first choice for England in defence at the moment. I mean, I'm, I I mean, I am massively biased. He's I say this a lot. He's my favourite signing for Newcastle over recent times. He's been magnificent on the pitch by all accounts, off it as well. He's a leader. His distribution is superb. Um, the the ethic the ethic he shows the spirit he gives the drive he provides to the rest of the team um, you know fabulous and he doesn't he doesn't take shit and he doesn't want excuses he's he's just such a good such a good player and yeah I think he should be into, if you're if you're building your defence at the moment he should be the first name on it um, both in terms of form current form and the poor form of others so. Yeah, just, that pass was sublime. It was just oh, sublime. incredible! Oh. What a pass that was! Yeah, what a pass. Joe Willock didn't even need to break stride, did he? No. It, it was on his toe end. It was perfect. Also, speaking of Joe Willock, if there is an award for knee slide of the season, uh, <laughs> he gets it for that celebration. He must have went a good twenty feet there. The groundsman at St Mary's must be going mad. Yeah, it was very wet. For the, it was, the it was, furrows he dug with his knees and his boots. Amazing. It stuff. was strange weather. It was pouring down at various points, and then the sun would come out. But yeah, the pitch was. Uh, the pitch was absolutely perfect for a knee slide, but he Prime, wasn't it? he took full advantage. He certainly did. Um, Southampton, uh, Chris, they sacked big Ralph Hasenhutl after the game. Uh, they were pretty woeful, weren't they? Especially at the back, they were they were all over the place. Yeah, I did think Southampton were poor. I mean, there's been a lot of occasions this season when Newcastle have have, have played opposition who've looked poor, but I think that's mainly been because Newcastle have made them look poor. I don't think that was so much the case on Sunday. I th- what I did think, certainly in the first half, as as much as Newcastle were quite sloppy in many ways and really weren't at it in some departments, they just looked fitter and looked like they had more intensity about them. We we know when Newcastle have been through long periods over the last few years where they've been a team that's been dysfunctional and have been struggling, Newcastle fans have been on the other end of that. Now they've got the opposite, whereby you can see that the players believe in what the manager is telling them they believe in the structure and the process and even when they're not playing well they can fall back on that and the fundamentals are still there and that's again what got them through as well as the the confidence and form that they're in at the minute yeah it was just fascinating sitting next to our brilliant colleague Jacob Tanswell who um, during the game was getting all these messages on his phone and at one point turned to me and said yeah he's gone he's gone even as the game was going on. So it was very peculiar sitting there writing this piece, which I've done with Chris, about the positivity of um, Eddie Howe's first first year and seeing this very sort of ragged, sloppy, dysfunctional team try to have a go at Newcastle. I think that's what they were doing, but, you know, fail. And ultimately, it was pretty easy. I mean, Newcastle weren't even that great, were they, Chris? Let's be honest. We've mentioned this already. They weren't, they weren't brilliant. There were some sloppy moments. Sven Botman gave the ball. I think it's the first time I've seen him give the ball away. Uh, as well, it was an awful pass. Uh, and Kieran Trippier said after the game, "We're frustrated with how we played today. We were nowhere near our best, but they didn't need to be, did they? With where Southampton's concerned, no. I I, I thought Botman and Cher were sloppy in possession. Actually, different points. And I'm not just trying to dig them out there. Everyone in the Newcastle team was, but it, I thought distribution, which has been a, such a strength from those two centre backs in recent weeks, there were, were numerous times that they gave the ball away, and it felt like the need that Newcastle needed." the substitutions to come in the second half when they did, even even when 
they, they went 2-0 up, which obviously was Chris Wood coming on scoring. I just thought that they need, it just felt like it needed a bit of freshness. It just needed something a little bit different. The, the same lineup has done so well for so long, but having a couple of changes here and there, having, having just a different sort of element coming on, maybe just, just posed a few extra questions for Southampton and, ga- and gave Newcastle that injection of something different. But yeah, it wasn't a brilliant performance. As George said, taking in isolation, maybe you would be concerned, but it's a Newcastle side who have performed so well for so long. Howe said afterwards he thought they dipped before the levels, but he Equally, given that they've carried them out to such a high degree over the course of the last few weeks and months, he wasn't going to dig them out on that. And instead, they've got two games now before the international break, and they really are going into those in such confidence still, even even after what maybe was a disappointing performance to still win 4-1. That just shows where this team's at right now. That's it. Listen to this, chaps. Newcastle guaranteed to go into the World Cup break in the Premier League top four. How does that feel? It's just nuts. It's up. If you'd come to me a year ago and said Newcastle will go into the World Cup break in the top four, I would have called you a madman. It's absolutely nuts. And I've kind of said that it's so unreal. And yet the thing about it is that the team is very real and how is very real. And it's it's as real as how is solid. It's not a fluke. You know, they're not um, batting way ahead of their averages in terms of XG in terms of that and we're not looking at them play games and thinking they don't deserve to be where they are they do deserve to be where they are and that is the kind of most difficult thing about it to get your head around that it's real it is real and what an achievement and what I don't want is to feel disappointment at the end of the season so let's just celebrate what's happened in this this calendar year it is astonishing and it is deserved it absolutely is. We'll be back in just a tick to talk about Newcastle United's anniversary. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So, Chops, Tuesday, 8th of November, when this podcast will be published, is exactly one year to the day since Eddie Howe was appointed as Newcastle United's head coach. And let's be honest, nobody, not even the most optimistic fans, were predicting a Champions League challenge this year, were they, George? It is an unprecedented season. Obviously, other big teams have fallen a little bit and haven't been at their best, but Newcastle have played out of their skin, and Eddie Howe's done an amazing job. It's just been, it's been fantastic. I mean, fantastic in both senses of the word. Fantastic as in very good, and fantastic as in fantasy. Um, you know, the way, the way, the way we put it in the in the piece that Chris and I have written was, you know, the the way of summing up the year was that in his first press conference, 
Eddie Howe said, we're in a relegation battle. And in the last game before his anniversary, he's being asked questions about, is he in a title race? And is being asked about Pep Guardiola's quotes about Newcastle being challengers. And yeah, it's very difficult to put that into context, isn't it? Because it just, it sounds so ludicrous when you say it. But he has done an absolutely incredible job. And it's been about building on what Newcastle had. It's about making players better for years upon years. Take out some of the Rafa era, but Newcastle have bought players and they've tended to get worse. And that's what happens. Or they don't fulfil their potential. Or they kind of drift. And at the moment, you've got some players who've been around for quite a while now, playing the best football of their careers. You've got new signings coming in, buying into the spirit that was already there. Everybody getting better. Everybody getting better. They've got this fellow at the top of it who's not um, demonstrative, doesn't come out and say stupid things, but loves getting better, has this fear of failure about him, which is a kind of interesting mentality to have, pushing himself on to never accept the status quo, to never accept complacency. And my God, it's just been incredible to be part of it. Yeah, really harsh. Chris, this piece that you and George have written, it's it, it's it's broadly based around these seven games that kind of encapsulates the progress that's been made in the time that Eddie Howe's been here. Do you want to give us a little bit of background on that? Yeah, so George and I, for a good few weeks, have been trying to consider how we would mark the occasion of Eddie Howe's anniversary. We've written a heck of a lot over the course of certainly the last nine months as to where and how he's he's changed things at Newcastle, where Newcastle have improved in terms of pressing, in terms of the way that they play, in terms of players getting better and, and being part of the team. And we felt that the the best way, therefore, of reflecting that was to, to maybe look at what we thought were pivotal games or at least use the games as a vehicle to, to tell different stories or show different elements of what has been so good about Newcastle. So we, we went back, the first one we started with was his first game against Brentford where he wasn't even there. He couldn't get into the ground. It was yeah. like that was, he, he called that the most stressful 90 minutes of his life. <laughs> but also that was important because that was actually... I mean, George can speak even more about this, but afterwards there was almost a feeling deflation to an extent after the 3-3 draw because it felt like this was a huge opportunity loss. This was another game. Newcastle had gone in 12th game into the season without having won a game. It looked chaotic. It looked like it confirmed a lot of those fears that, that a lot of people, including myself, as I've said before, had about Eddie Howe, that Newcastle... Could they rely on a guy who, when he was at Bournemouth, his team conceded 60 goals in every Premier League season he was there, and the Newcastle had this terrible defence, and could he be the one to correct it? So that was the first one, and then we've gone through these staging posts all the way to the Southampton game yesterday, which was almost, basically, this feels now like a routine win for Newcastle United, a 4-1 away win to move <laughs> Newcastle third in the table. Yeah. Feels like an away a routine win, when a year before they couldn't win a game with five points adrift in the Premier League and bottom after its first game in charge and it just all of them showed different elements to it so I'd recommend you to read it to, to go through the different ones because we tried to as I say capture different moments and different really attributes and uh, from Eddie Howe and the characteristics that he's brought to the side and the club really over the course of last year. Leeds away last season in, Jan- in January was obviously the turning point I mean Howe says that himself in terms of his own position at the club and it's interesting kind of thinking back and looking back it's not I think that his position was under any threat but there was that sort of hint of trepidation at the training ground that although he was very well liked people felt fitter and 
people felt they knew what they were doing. You know, they appreciated his attempts to get to know them, to get into their heads. There was that sense that, yeah, this is all good. This is all great. But where where are the results? You know, they got that win against Burnley. But then that was immediately followed up by more heavy defeats. And, you know, Howe said, said it himself. He could just feel that element of doubt around the club. And so, you know, ultimately, what's it about for managers? It's about a win. But when you get that win and then follow it up with another win, you've then got people saying, oh, yeah, okay, he knows what he's talking about. And so that, that and you can paint, you can paint a very different picture where Newcastle go to Leeds and lose or Newcastle go to Leeds and don't win. And then there's, there's that two week break stretching in front of them. They went to Saudi. They were signing players, of course, but they wouldn't have had that same momentum. So I do think that was like a massive moment for him and indeed for the club. One other that I would point out, um, we didn't choose the Man City, the Man City draw this season, which I think would have, was a great, you know, we argued a bit about this actually, about whether we should include it because it was so good. But I thought that in some ways, you know, the Liverpool game was actually a better example. So, you know, they played brilliantly against Arsenal. They played brilliantly at Spurs not too long ago. But the Liverpool game showed another element of what this new Newcastle is all about. Yes, they lost in uh, very disappointing fashion. You know, you go to Anfield, you put a massive shift in, you take the lead, and then you end up losing in the 98th minute. But Newcastle went there and they bared their teeth and they irritated Anfield. They irritated Jurgen Klopp. And they got under Liverpool's skin. And instead of that Newcastle who turn up places, have their, you know, get a nice little pat on the head, but get smashed. And that was yeah, different. I mean, I, I thought that was such an important match for Newcastle. So we all owe Eddie Howe thanks, don't we? And um, he's very polite. He's he's uh, he's really nice. His press conferences, you know, he's he's good. And, you know, Chris and I have kind of got a bit of a relationship with him, which is great. But he's tough. You know, he's tough and yeah. he'll he'll take a compliment, but he'll say, he'll follow it up with, um, you know, by saying, yeah, but I can't just settle for this. There's too much more that I want to do. And um, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's great. I keep saying things like great and fantastic and brilliant. I mean, I need to find other words to use. Yeah. As a, as a fan, I mean, one of the things I love about him is his diligence and just his absolute dedication, his attention to detail. I know for a fact that he will go back this week after that Southampton game and he will pour over everything, the data, the videos, everything that went right, everything that went wrong, and he will make sure that Newcastle are in a better position for going against Crystal Palace in the Cup on Wednesday and then going into Chelsea at the weekend. I know for a fact, and I, I'm, I trust that he will go and do that. And I know it was a 4-1 win. It would be really easy to sit back on your laurels, wouldn't it, and say, oh, we've got another three points, we're third in the league. That would be so easy to do. But I know for a fact he's going to be pissed off about the fact that we've conceded a goal and didn't play very well, really. And and it's frightening that there's levels to this Newcastle team that we still haven't seen. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. He said he said after the Southampton game, he actually said that for once I do want the players to take in what they've done in terms of being, you know, in terms of being in the top four at Christmas, and I want them to think about it and I want them to enjoy it. But the reason he gave for that was that the year proves that things can turn around so quickly in football. And in other words, so, so so yes, he was, you know, there's this incredible staging point. When Newcastle, whatever happens against Chelsea this coming weekend, Newcastle will be in the top four at Christmas. From where they've been, that's remarkable. He wants those the players to enjoy it, to reflect on it, to look back. But his message is, 
This shows how quickly things can change. And so we have to be ready and we can't be complacent because it could change the other way. And to have that drive internally is just so is just so important. And Chris, you've also written a, a solo article this week picking out Miggy Armoron as one player that how has utterly transformed. Uh, quite ironic. It's ironic, that, isn't it? Yeah. You've chosen to do that. He wrote that with through gritted fingers. <laughs> I can't remember who did I Can you grit can you grit your fingers, George? I don't know. I'd imagine who did you could, I pick though. in the preview podcast as to who I thought was going to be the person who could be? Because you all picked Almoron, but I can't remember whether I did or not. I'll have to go back and listen anyway. Anyway, yes, I did write about to Miguel. do what? You know, on, to you do know what? the preview podcast where we did like who's going to who can uh, uh, we use the term Howard? Who's going to be Howard of the season? And the Howardification. You didn't like that. Oh, yeah. And I can't remember who I picked, but anyway, Miguel Almoron well and truly has been, uh, or certainly in the last few weeks has been. And yes, I sort of this article sort of breaks down. What has been going on behind the scenes, and Miguel Amron himself deserves a huge amount of credit for it because he has embraced what the coaching staff and Eddie Howe have been trying to tell him and show him. They've been showing him clips of some of the best wide forwards in Europe and how they get into the box more frequently to get himself into those positions so that he's going to have more opportunities to score. They've also um, worked with him in terms of positioning and really given him instruction as to what they want from instruction which still room within that for Miguel Almiron's own flair and and, and and individuality because you don't he doesn't how doesn't want to be too prescribed in what he says but we've seen it with Almiron when he first came and Rafa Benitez was there and that someone who really thrives when he has a clear role in the team a clear identity and knows what is expected of him and how's made that clear from him and and he, I mean the goals that he scored they they aren't they haven't been coached that that's been his confidence, his 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 ability uh, to bring through the inst- instinct, instinct to, to bring well, through them, on it? that, and actually, because funnily, uh, for example, the goal under Hugo Lloris at, at at Spurs, actually, what Newcastle have been working on with Almiron is to to hit the ball a bit higher into the net to try and get to the top corners if he possibly can. But the best finish there was to go underneath the keeper and that's what he did and it caught out the keeper and that again shows confidence in his own ability at the moment. There's also a stat within the piece which is interesting. I think I don't think he got an assist yesterday, did he? So it extends further to I think it's 77 games now. He hasn't actually got an assist for. So that's that's a, an area which Newcastle are actively trying to work on him with as well. They think that that's an area he can still improve and bring more from. You think about the goals he scored at seven and seven eight this season. That that probably isn't sustainable. But if you can score a goal or contribute an assist every three, four games, that is what you want from your forwards and you want everyone to keep contributing. And so there is still a high bar from I think to still push on towards. And it's just great to see and and, and yes, he really he really has embraced all of that. And I'm I I am genuinely delighted, regardless of what you think, I'm genuinely <laughs> delighted about it. George, um, what probably a lot of fans don't realise was just how integral Eddie Howe was to the recruitment team in that first January transfer window when Newcastle were essentially in a rebuilding phase and a a kind of firefighting phase of trying to keep themselves in the league and pick up the right players. Uh, He was probably involved more than he wanted to be. Oh, totally. Yeah, no, the way way that we've described it is he was de facto director of football and of course you know yeah they had he had he had those you know the big moment of the Leeds match going on at the same time he was making calls, taking calls, desperately trying to improve the squad, spreading himself way too thin. I mean, it was a chaotic month. It was a brilliant month and it was a successful month. And when I say chaotic, it was because of the work that they had to do, they felt they had to do in order to stay up. And the fact that there was no, there were no directors of the club at that point, apart from the people who'd come in, 
there were there were nobody to do those calls apart from themselves. And so there was a lot of work by Amanda Staveley and Mirdad Gudusi and by Jamie Rubin with uh, Steve Nixon and and with Eddie Howe and his staff, Jason Tyndall. You know, I think they recognised, you know, it was, it was days of no sleep and it was losing weight. I mean, it was that sort of stuff. But it brought them all together. They worked very, very successfully together. I do, do think that added to the unity that was being felt around the club, both you know, between fans and team again, which was the incredibly important that that happened in the stadium, and that it all fit, it all fitted into that sort of thing too. So it was an exhausting month, and I'm sure you know he didn't want to repeat that because what he wants to be on the training ground, that's what he wants to do. Yes, of course, we'll have a say and and the final say in terms of who comes in and etc. As he should, but he shouldn't be spending time making calls when he should be on the training pitch. And it it was like that. Yeah, it was a hairy month. Absolutely. Chris, there's been very much two different methods of success, hasn't there, Freddie? How I mean, there's the sort of pragmatic style of that great escape from relegation, but then also that relentless high press that he's had us play in this season. And you've done a bit of work on the stats behind all of that in a piece as well, haven't you? Yeah, so by the time the podcast's out, there will be another article. And basically, it's sort of looking at how good actually are Newcastle now and that's sort of looking at this position that they're in they're in the they're, they're guaranteed to be in the top four at Christmas they are regularly beating teams who they, who they should be beating but they're also now competing against the very best teams in the league and as we discussed and this is one of the points in the, in the piece that George and I did the sort of seven games was that Although of itself it wasn't a particularly dramatic game, one game I was keen to have in there was when Newcastle won at Southampton in March, and it was a two-one win, and that was sort of that was the end of the nine-game unbeaten run that they won six out of seven, I think, in the lead-up to that, and they did so playing what at the time Howard described to the Newcastle board the January window, that what they needed to do was play a simple game, that it wasn't to complicate things, they needed to survive in a certain way, that's why they targeted players like Chris Wood or players with Premier League experience, and that it was just to grind out results to a certain extent, and that's what they did, a lot of those wins were narrow wins, a narrow win uh, over Leicester was in there, narrow wins over, there were Villa against teams they had to beat Brentford, a lot of teams it was, it was just by slender margins, so that's what they did last season, this year's been completely different, and now they are dominating matches as George said all of their metrics are so much higher than they've been for years a lot of them are the highest they've been either since the 2011-12 season when they finished fifth some of them even go back to the Sir Bobby Robson era in terms of the positions they are in the table the goals they are scoring the chances they are creating this is how they are performing and it's it's consistent over a long period of time now you can extrapolate it far beyond even the start of this season and at the moment the Newcastle are, are on course for European football as a minimum. That's really what it says in terms of the more than a third of the season gone. Things could change dramatically, but equally, they already have changed dramatically in a positive sense over the course of the last six, nine months. Newcastle have sustained form over that period while improving. And Eddie Howe said in his interview with Alan Shearer that when he came into this season, what was it he wanted to improve on? He said he thought those performances of last season were not sustainable. Now he hopefully has found a more sustainable method and approach, and and at the minute Newcastle are thriving playing it. Absolutely, and he has done a few things that you know have been sort of ridiculed at first in the press and on social media and stuff like that. George, you know, there's things that could have backfired. The team photos after victories, the inspirational Ted Lasso style slogans on dressing room walls, uh, and all that sort of stuff. I mean, it, 
let's be honest, it, it all works when you're playing well, doesn't it? But it, people could point to it and say that it's a bit silly if you if you're not picking up the results. But so far, Newcastle have uh, have done well under him. Yeah, and those team pictures. I mean, that was something that happened at Bournemouth. I, I mean, I don't think they were necessarily meant for general consumption at Newcastle they happened yes they took stick because it was like okay wow team wins first game of season team shit team wins two games this season big wow you're still doing these big celebrations and now of course they're still doing them and they're in a very very different place but as I said you know that that was it was also part of that that thing of the club getting back together and Newcastle fans loved it and um, still do and that sense of a club that had been fractured for so long. It was an angry club. It was an apathetic club. There was no relationship between boardroom and stands. The The relationship between manager and stands wasn't there. Team and stands, well, that was strained to breaking point too, albeit there was a affection for the players that had got Newcastle into the Premier League and kept them up. All that stuff had to happen. And it's it's happened in a way that is incredibly powerful. And, you know, the other thing that Howe talked about and talked about actually in relation to the Liverpool game that we were mentioning earlier was that sense of, yeah, this is us against others. This is us against everybody else. It's not just about being patronised and being patted on the head or, or whatever. It's us against you. And those things, those little things are important. Yeah, if it doesn't go well, then people can take the piss. But it's part of a much bigger thing which had to happen at the club but the way it's happened wow and Taylor before we end on Eddie Howe I want to ask you about your sort of relationship with Eddie Howe as a fan where you put him in the pantheon of of Newcastle managers we've we've had in the past how you feel how you feel about him it's only fair you get a chance to do that well I think he's done an amazing job I mean I- I, I genuinely, I was a bit like Chris. I was maybe slightly underwhelmed by the idea of Eddie Howe coming in and coaching Newcastle. I know we were talking about this manager and that manager, and you're linked with all these different names, and you you know you're expecting it to come with some sort of pedigree. And I think when Eddie Howe came in, I thought, okay, I I, I get, I understand the, the the appointment. Never in my wildest dreams did I think he could turn things around the way he has. I just love the guy. I think he's. I've just I've just listened to that the the podcast he's done with Jake Humphreys, the the high performance podcast, and it's fascinating the level of detail and the reflection he's done, the self reflection and all that sort of stuff is just amazing. To to go from where he where he was when he when he left Bournemouth to to come back and take this job on is just I think he's done brilliantly. I, I really do, and the the way he's worked with some of those players, uh, he's just worked wonders with them. I I, I genuinely didn't think we were going to be sitting here having this conversation oh, this no. you know a year later I don't think anybody did it's crazy um but it's it, it's been an amazing ride and I'm I'm here for it you know I'm absolutely <laughs> I'm, I'm fully invested good uh I, I am uh one of the masses it's it's been brilliant I've loved it loved every minute of it even even early on when it looked tricky and we thought you know is he going to be able to turn this round He's just shown us exactly what he's made of and what he can do, and it, it's been a wonderful ride, hasn't it? Just to pick up on that, Taylor. I mean, I've listened to, I've listened to all that podcast stuff. But I've listened to some of it, and I actually find part of it difficult to listen to because there's part of me that that sort of wants him to be able to enjoy things more than he does, and I hope that during this World it's, Cup yeah. break that, and I, I, he won't. And I say this already knowing that because you'll spend that time. I mean, he doesn't seem to have a life, no. does he, apart from and so football I, and coaching. I don't it. think that he gets to fully absorb 
what he has achieved at Newcastle and what he it means to fans like you and to other fans out there. I don't think he fully embraces that or gets to embrace it. And I find that a bit to be a shame. Maybe that's just how he has to process things. That's how he works. And I'm sure maybe he doesn't feel that he needs to have that that sort of not recognition. He don't yeah. need recognition for what he does. But I just I would like him to to really enjoy it. And I don't think if he I don't know if he ever gets the opportunity to do that. That's the one thing where listening to that, it does actually as fascinating as it is, and as much as it makes it's, you think this guy's brilliant, it, there is that part of me that has a little bit of sadness about it. Yeah, that 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 sort of being motivated by fear is is a sort of very interesting thing. And I no, I totally agree. And I've had that. I've spoken to to Eddie about that as well, and said, "Look, I hope you kind of understand what you've unleashed here, and the feeling that there is about the club and the team. And yeah, fine, you want to get better, you know, you haven't won anything. I mean, you'd like to, you'd love to win something. You'd love, you know, get into Europe. And I, I can understand why you don't want to sort of stop because you know, the moment you stop in football, you're done. But just please appreciate." all of this you know this feeling (laughs) um and you know i think he's conscious of it but chris is right i don't think it's in his makeup to you know i think i think he's one of those people who says when i get to the end of my career i'll look back and maybe yeah but this is now i mean one of the lovely things about southampton i met a lovely man called andy who was there with his two sons and he wasn't miles away from my age he was younger than me because most people are but you know that that he was talking about they don't live in Newcastle. So he's had to sort of explain Newcastle and what it can be and could be to his uh, teenage sons. And they're now getting that sense of what Newcastle is and can be and should be, arguably. And it's so valuable. And I was I, I was like saying, we had a long conversation outside St. Mary's. And I said, you will remember last season and this season for the rest of your lives just because of the that emotion being unleashed again around the club and yes this isn't the moment when Newcastle have won something but it's the moment when Newcastle have rediscovered something elemental about themselves and what St James's Park should sound like and what it feels to be part you know watching a team that is trying its best and people will remember it forever it's not tangible yet but it'll live with people and that is yeah I hope he understands that I think it's important, I think, in our position now that we do think back. Last year was we were in a really difficult position and it's very quickly, I think, forgotten. So I'd encourage the players to really enjoy this moment that we're in now. You know, really uh, try and soak in what they're achieving. Because it's a, a very difficult game today, a really tough place to come. And I thought uh, the goals were the highlight in our performance. I don't think our general performance was particularly good, but the goals we scored were a really high level. Are you soaking it in? No, my job is now to focus on on Crystal Palace, so I won't be soaking anything in. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The World Cup break looms large on the horizon, but of course Palace and Chelsea have both got to come to St James's Park in the next week. Chris, neither of those teams will fancy that journey, and, and St James's Park will be bouncing and up for it, won't it? It will be, and I have had a suggestion from our Crystal Palace writer that Palace may be putting out a team full of kids as well, so therefore... Uh, given when Newcastle's ambitions, as we know, Eddie Howe's already said that they're going to target the cups, and now that really they have the opportunity to do so, it will be yeah. I don't, I wouldn't fancy. I think they'd fancy coming here at all at this stage. It'll be interesting to see what Newcastle team he puts out. I think we're likely to see a few changes. Maybe John Joe Shelby might start. Maybe Chris Wood, particularly given that Callum Wilson went off illness. I'd like to see Elliot Anderson get a run out as yeah, well. Yeah, I don't think it'll be an entirely different eleven, but I think that there could be maybe half the side change a little bit. The 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 want and need to go through is how said that I think he said there's not a single part of me that doesn't want to advance in this competition. So and St James's will be really up for this given given it a, a Wednesday night match and then yeah Chelsea Chelsea who are in a difficult patch themselves and coming to St James's and cannot even leapfrog Newcastle even if they beat them at St James's and so I think that that, that for five thirty kickoff on a Saturday that'll be absolutely raucous. And then, I mean, the other thing, Taylor, you talk about the World Cup looming. Normally, Newcastle are sort of interested observers in in major tournaments like this. But I mean, or disinterested in Chris's case, or not, or disinterested. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but you don't have much at stake in terms of your own players. I mean, it was brilliant to see Gareth Southgate watching his second successive Newcastle match. I mean, that is at Southampton the weekend. I mean, that must be unparalleled. I mean, extraordinary. But. There were seven members of the of that Newcastle team that went to third in the Premier League were English, and so why not be there? Anyway, I've been working with Alan from work on a piece on his World Cup squad that he's been named by the time this podcast comes out. Uh, that, that piece will be out. He's naming his World Cup squad, and I just really wanted to ask him about the Newcastle players who um, who he's picked and who will hopefully feature in Qatar. To have the England manager there with so many decisions to be made prior to World Cup compared to where Newcastle were a year ago. I mean, it's it, can you imagine if someone had said to you a year ago, "Don't don't panic, lads. Don't panic, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Newcastle are going to be third in a year's time. Newcastle are going to be sitting third in the Premier League." I'd have looked at him and said, "Either give me a fucking pint of what you've had, or you're bark stark and mad." <laughs> well, let's let's talk about the three. Certainly certainties from your perspective. So you've named your your England World Cup squad for the Athletic and there are three play, three Newcastle players in it in Nick Pope, yeah. Kieran Trippier and Callum Wilson. Pope is a shoe in as goalkeeper and there can't be an English defender in better form than Kieran Trippier at the moment, can there? No, there isn't. I mean, the, the standout performers and the most in-form players of every defender there is Kieran Trippier and Ben White. Ben White's been a brilliant at Arsenal, and certainly in defensively and, and having the link up. But in terms of set pieces, 
creating goals, defending, then, yeah, Keenan Trippier is the outstanding one for me. And he, uh, I said it last night on Match of the Day, barring circumstances, he ha- I would, without a shadow, have him in that 11, whether yeah. it's right back, if he plays four at the back, whether it's right wing back, if he plays three centre-offs, or whether it's left back. He's been because of his experience, his know-how. Gareth has used him at centre half. I mean, even if everyone was fit, by the way, if Rhys James was there, if Trent was there, if Kyle Walker was there, I would still have him playing. Yeah. I would still have him starting. He's 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 become one of my favourite signing signings of recent times. I just I just love his leadership. You know, yeah. Oh, yeah, but. Yeah. Another player we have to talk about, and you've also named as Callum Wilson, who is also in a great vein of form. He came off against yeah. Southampton at half-time. That was a bit of a concern, but it turns out he's been suffering from a bit of illness. Physically, he's, he's absolutely fine. But he's on, he's on the plane to Qatar as far as, as you're concerned. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, have, I have two hats on here. <laughs> I have my England hat on, thinking if we're struggling for a goal and we need a bit of... Guile, bit of know-how in and around the six-yard box, 18-yard box, then Callum Wilson will be great to have on, to come, to bring on. But I have also my other head on, because of his history of injuries, then from a Newcastle United and a selfish point of view, am I right in thinking Newcastle United would be better off suited to Callum having two weeks off and then light training and getting ready to go again on, on December the 26th or three days before in the Carabao. So... I just think that's that's my Newcastle United head and England head. So there's two different things. But then, how much of a lift did you get when you were a player and you were called up for England? And didn't that have? Of course, a... I did. Absolutely. I mean, for him personally, it's amazing. It, it, when when or if he's named in this squad, it would give him a, a huge lift. But we all know his his history of injuries, so he's going to be training every single day. He's going to be possibly involved in the matches and. Mentally, for him, absolutely. Physically, uh, I mean, he's, he's he's not a spring chicken anymore. So it'd be amazing for him to go to a World Cup and take part. Absolutely, I get, I get all of that. But just from a from a black and white point of view, I just wonder would it be would it be better off relaxing, having a bit of time off, um, and then coming back in in mid December? But can't afford to think like that. No, I think he can win the World Cup. And then he can come back and win the league for Newcastle. That'll be that's, that's what I say. <laughs> I love your optimism or your fucking stupidity. Warranty. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's just alcohol. Don't worry, it's alcohol. Right. Lovely stuff. Uh, and the Brazil squad has been announced as well. Chris Bruno Guimarães, our only inclusion. Joe Linton doesn't make the cut this time round. Maybe in the future there's an opportunity for him. But Bruno had to go, didn't he? He did have to go. I mean, I don't think there was ever any doubt. And you both tut here because I've just watched a video on silence of, of uh, Bruno Gimaraes and his family finding out that he has made the squad. He's holding his little son, uh, Matthias. And it's, it's, it's a lovely video. I'm going to listen to it on Sounds with, wholesome, yes, with, with the volume on afterwards. But it means a heck of a lot to him. I've spoken to people behind the scenes at Newcastle who've said that's been part of his driving force this year. He's determined to go to the World Cup and do well. I asked Eddie Howe about it on Friday, actually, and he said... That he hopes that 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 Bruno is given the opportunity opportunity to shine on the world stage and show how good a player he is and can be, and uh, yeah, it'll be brilliant. Yeah, Joe Linton, we didn't think would get there. He wasn't obviously. T- they didn't see him last week, and he hasn't played for them before. But hopefully, that comes from him in the future. But for now, Bruno could could be one of the stars of the World Cup. I think. 
I know that we have concerns about this World Cup in terms of, you know, Alan talked about that, about mm, do we really want our players to go there and be and be risked, you know, risk injury, particularly if they've got suspect fitness. But it's brilliant, you know, for too long, Newcastle has either been a stepping stone club or it's been a club where people's careers wither. And you need it to be somewhere that players can see and say, okay, I can go there and I might be able to get into the England squad. Gareth Southgate will come and watch me. Other managers will come and watch, you know. That is really important to Newcastle's progress. It's also really important that when the World Cup's coming on and Bruno scores a goal for Brazil, it says which club he plays for, and that's Newcastle. You know, it spreads Newcastle's reputation around the world. That is so important. It's so important for Newcastle to grow like that. We've not had that for years, if not decades. So, you know, bring it on. Fingers crossed they all come back safely, but it's just brilliant that Newcastle have players going there. Absolutely, and uh, the podcast is going to take a little break as well. Uh, Last one next week after the Chelsea game, and then we will return just before Christmas, although we might have a little bit of a bonus for you later in the week if we can manage it. Also, just before we finish, congratulations to the women's team as well. Uh, A good win, 2-1 down at York. Plenty of opportunities to watch them in December if you're missing out on the live football uh, chaps, I think that's just about it. Any more for any more before we wrap things up? No, nah, we've gone on way too long. But I mean, there you go. That's we excitement. Have gone on far too there, long. It's excitement for you. We're all excited. We all want to talk. We all want to chat about it. It's just, um, you know, we're picking the bones out of victories and four-one wins and third place in Europe and a year of Eddie Howe being magnificent and uh, just yeah. All three of us will be at St. James's this week as well, won't we, as well? so Yeah. Uh, not together. We will, yeah. I'm going with the family on uh, on Wednesday night. All four of us are going. That should be fun. And then I'll be there on Saturday as well uh, for the Chelsea game. Great stuff. Right then, I'm, uh, I'm going to finish up here and go downstairs to see if George has done a shit on the carpet. That's the dog. Is it, <laughs> though, Taylor? In. Is it? <laughs> I don't know. You tell me, George. Is it? You might be in for a nasty <laughs> surprise. <clears throat> anyway. Mm. right chaps that's it thanks very much for your time Chris and George great to talk to you again and we shall speak to you next time thanks very much for listening don't forget uh, to go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod where you can sign up to The Athletic and pay just £1 a month for your first six months The Athletic is the best place to follow the World Cup of course but we have also just published a remarkable new podcast. It's called Away From Home and features access all areas coverage of Shakhtar Donetsk during their Champions League campaign played under the shadow of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. We're going to leave you with a taste of the first episode and if you like what you hear, the first three episodes are out now. Our producer Ollie has been involved in that process and it is fantastic. Search for Away From Home wherever you get your podcasts. Can 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 you hear me? Okay. Yes, yes, yeah. of course. You can ask ask question. I try to answer. Sure. So, so I suppose to, just to begin, can you explain the past couple of days how how you are, and also if your family is okay? First of all. Yes. Uh, uh, in in the morning of twenty uh, fourth of of the February, we woke woke up after the uh, uh, sounds of bombs. And uh, went to basement. This is the captain of Ukrainian football club Shakhtar Donetsk. His name 
is Taras Stepanenko, and he's one of the most famous footballers in his country. He was born before the collapse of the Soviet Union, he played over 70 times for Ukraine, and he's been with his club since 2010. I called him as war broke out to learn what was happening firsthand. Multiple attacks on cities right across uh, the country. Uh, the foreign minister, uh, Dmitry Kuleba, uh, has, has just tweeted that uh, the country is under full-scale invasion uh, by Russia. I have a wife and three sons. One uh, seven years, one eight and one four. Okay. What do you tell them? scared so much and we, we started to read news but my my son they i think they uh, they don't uh, understand clearly what happened now i think they they they're scared too stepanenko's life changed like so many other ukrainians did when russia invaded the country in early 2022 but six months on unlike most men his age he's fortunate enough to do his normal job again, to play football and to play in the Champions League, where the best teams from across the continent face off to be crowned kings of Europe. For Ukraine, football is more than a sport now. It's a unifier. It's a statement to the world that they are strong. And Shakhtar Donetsk is the embodiment of that sentiment. We are showing to all the world that, uh, that uh, we are still alive. Nothing cannot kill us. We are in the war for 2014. And it will be difficult to play, but we must play. Unfortunately, we are thinking just about Ukraine now. And uh, if this fucking bastard from Russia think that we will stop to play because of that, we will not stop to play. We'll play and we will win. For The Athletic, I'm Adam Crafton. Over the course of this series, I'll be tracking Shakhtar's unique football journey as they navigate their way through football's toughest contest, all whilst there's a brutal war raging on their doorstep, forcing them out of their own country. You didn't sleep, you, you cannot sleep. Three days, three days without sleep. I'm proud that I'm part of this team, of this club, and today we can be proud because this victory is, is for Ukrainian people, for Ukrainian citizens. It's not only about football now, it's about to show that, uh, to show that we are fighting, that we are still alive. <laughs> this is Away From Home, episode one, We Believe in Miracles. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.